Hello everyone joining us at Wood Explosion Homecoming Virtual Conference 2020. I want to thank Bishop Musa Sono and First Lady Gege for inviting me to speak to all of you. The last time I spoke at Grace Bible Church Soweto was in June 2016, more than four years ago. Back then, my hair was all black and now it's all white. We enjoyed so much the fellowship, hospitality, and of course, the amazing safari at Pilansburg. Thank you for loving us and for praying for us. We are all doing very well here in Singapore. City Harvest Church is stronger than ever before and we are growing. Now, we are all living in a very unusual time of world history. Today, I want to share with you on how Jesus Himself coped with crisis and change. We are living in a very challenging time. This COVID-19 pandemic has plunged so many people into physical, financial, and psychological pressures. Many feel hopeless, as if they are in a tunnel which seems to have no light at the end of it. Many have lost their jobs or have suffered massive pay cuts. Others have difficulties eating, sleeping, or concentrating, and live in a permanent state of worry and anxiety. And we have no idea how the future is going to look like. No one has any clue how the world will be like in a few years' time. We are using phrases like the new norm because what used to be normal for us isn't normal anymore. Our work, home and social life have all been altered. And until the world finds a vaccine or a cure for the COVID-19 virus, we have to live in the new normal for much of the foreseeable future. And because of this, many are feeling very stressed. We, we feel things are out of control and often feel like we are being pushed to the very edge. In 1967, psychiatrists Thomas Holmes and Richard Rahi came up with the stress scale to measure the stress load people are carrying. The scale rates 43 changes in life, like the death of a spouse, a divorce, sickness and injury, or a loss of a job, etc. But experts are now saying that life today is 44% more stressful than when Holmes and Rahi first came up with the list. And that people between 50 to 64 years old are the most stressed out, meaning people in my age group. Genesis chapter 8, 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that in life, there'll be a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to moan, a time to dance, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time of war and a time of peace. Reality is in constant motion. Life is always changing, evolving, progressing and transitioning. What never changes? is God and His promises. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus says, will by no means pass away. Matthew 24 and verse 35. And because God is a good God, Genesis 50 verse 20 says, Whatever the world and the devil meant for evil, God will turn it around 
for our good. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, God will always work all things together for our eternal good, that we might become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at Jesus' life and ministry, we can see why He was so successful. Jesus had three kinds of mastery. Number one, mastery with self. Number two, mastery with others. And number three, mastery with change. In every chapter of the four Gospels, we find Jesus going through a crisis or a change. But He never lost His way or His values or His purpose. So as we focus on Christ-likeness, we must learn not only self-mastery, developing the fruit of the Spirit, or mastery with others, creating and cultivating good relationships. Number three, we must also develop our mastery with change, our ability to cope and adapt and grow in the midst of a crisis or change. And we can learn so much just by studying how Jesus handled crisis and change. First of all, take for example, when Jesus came into a different season of his life, and you can read that in Luke chapter 2, a different season of life. Now, there is stress whenever we transition into a different season of life. For example, when we have to start school or a new job, or when we have just gotten married, or become pregnant, or have just retired, Every stage of life brings with it changes that we must learn to cope with and to handle well. When Jesus entered his teenage years, it was a period of change for him. One time after the feast of the Passover, his parents left him behind in the temple. Those of you with kids would know that for 12-year-olds, if they don't see you in a few hours, they would normally start to cry and panic. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three whole days. And when they found Him, they were amazed because Jesus was discussing theology with the rest of the elders of the temple. Herein lies a very important lesson for us. When we go through a season of change, when we are a little lost in life and our security blanket is removed from us, it is always a good time to grow in the Word and in the knowledge of God. Knowledge is power. The more we know God and His Word, the stronger we will become. And when the future is uncertain and we feel lost, His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalms 119 verse 105. Jesus says, The more we abide in the Word, the more He and the Father will make known their presence and power to us. You can read that in John 14 and 15. Because the more the Word of God abides in us, the stronger we'll become to overcome Satan and his discouragements. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, and I love this, it says over here, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Greek word for transform is metamorpho, which means we'll be changed into something glorious and beautiful, like a butterfly in a metamorphosis. 
reading and studying the Bible is not just about gaining information. It is more about transformation. We will prove the will of God. That means we'll naturally live out God's will for our lives. When we fill our minds with Bible thoughts, our lives will be transformed. Our lives will become more like Jesus. When our thinking changes, every part of us is transformed. Every new season requires new revelation, new illumination of the Word. 24-7, our brain is always on. It consumes a disproportionate amount of the body's energy, our little brain. It's only 2% of our body's weight, but yet it uses 20% of its oxygen and glucose. To use less energy, our brain likes to be on autopilot, to be in a habit mode, autopilot mode, so that we can do things without even thinking. But during seasons of change, our brain must not see things the same old way but this is going to take some retraining on our part. In 2005, in the United States, many people died in the Hurricane Katrina. After analysing the data, Time magazine reports that three quarters of the dead were over 60 years old and half were over 75. So the old people died. When the warnings came for them to leave, they didn't take heed. Why? Because 36 years earlier, they had lived through Hurricane Camille. Well, if they've gone through that, they simply assume, autopilot, that they would make it again. But they didn't. In that sense, Hurricane Camille killed more people in 2005 than it did in 1969. The brains of many told them, this is the same as before. But it wasn't. It was way worse. The younger people who never had the communal experience heeded the warnings and their brains were not on autopilot and they were saved. When we are living in a season of change, we mustn't allow our mind to get stuck in the past. How did Jesus handle crisis and change? Secondly, consider how he began his ministry. When Jesus was about 30 years old, it was another season of change for him. He was baptized at the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit came upon him and God the Father audibly and publicly endorsed him. Possibly this was the first time since Jesus took the form of man that he heard the audible voice of God. All this while, he was just a carpenter from a little town called Nazareth. Now, he had a total change of his vocation to be a traveling itinerant rabbi. Everything in his life is going to change. His work, his colleagues, his friends, the place he lived, his source of income, everything was going to change. To prepare for this, Jesus needed time alone to reflect on who he was, on his life, and the purpose that God has for him on earth. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Then Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. 
He needed a time of solitude to be alone with His Heavenly Father, to pray, to meditate on the Scripture, to commune with the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to seek the mind of God, to do all our reflecting, our thinking, and clarifying of our goal and purpose in the presence of God. This was a very important time for Jesus Christ, doing all His thinking in the presence of His heavenly Father. You know, when it comes to our life, we mustn't just brainstorm with our friends or discuss with our family. We must take the time not to be so busy, not to run around helter-skelter, being so busy all the time, but to be in solitude, to think alone in God's presence, allowing our thoughts, our ideas to be filtered through His Word and Spirit. And you will be so amazed, I guarantee you, how much God will speak to you as you do your thinking alone in His presence. I can never overemphasize just how vital this is for our lives. Don't just plan by the seats of your pants. You know, in English, we, we like to use this phrase, don't go by the seat of your pants. It means don't just go by your own experience or trust your own judgment. Don't be overwhelmed by momentum and let momentum push you along. I can tell you from my personal experience, this is where many mistakes will be made. Experts say that to transition well in crisis and change, you need to L-I-V-E, live. L, do what you love. I, utilize your inner talents. V, be guided by your values. And E, adapt to your environment. Better still, create an environment that brings the best out of you. In the past three years, many of you know, I went through a season of very stressful change, very stressful. In the Holmes and Rahi's stress scale, it is the fourth most stressful thing a person can go through in life. But every day, in the solitude of my cell, I studied the Bible. I did a lot of thinking in the presence of God. And I clarified what my values and guiding principles will be and how I will live them out for the second half of my life. I decided I want to be Christ-like, to be more like Jesus, to live by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That I do what I love, preaching, teaching, pastoring, evangelism, missions, using the inner talents that God has blessed me with. That the fruit of the Spirit will become my values and guiding principles. And I will try my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to create an environment of Jesus-likeness in City Harvest Church. C-L-I-V-E. Love, inner talents, values, and environment. In a time of change, we must be very clear on what God wants us to do. Because how we live is how we're going to enter. How we end this season will determine if we will excel in the next. Don't compromise on your values and principles. 
Rather, learn from Jesus Christ. You can only do that by spending time with God in solitude, doing all your thinking, doing all your planning and clarifying in His presence. Times of solitude will set the tone for your season of change. How did Jesus handle crisis? Thirdly, just consider how He faced opposition. By the end of His first year of ministry, the momentum behind all that Jesus was doing was intensifying. The crowds was growing by the tens of thousands, but he was beginning to face opposition. The honeymoon period of Jesus Christ and his ministry was over. And some were openly challenging his authority and his holiness. He had to move his ministry base to Capernaum because he was openly despised in Nazareth, his hometown. Even then, religious leaders were scrutinizing his teachings, every word he said, every decision he made, every action he took. They were unhappy that he forgave the sin of the paralytic man and also healed him. They were unhappy that he accepted Matthew as a disciple and was eating with other tax collectors and sinners. They were unhappy that his disciples didn't fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays and that they have plucked corns to eat on the Sabbath. By the second year, things really came to a head. Jesus continued to heal on the Sabbath, and by now, the hostility against him had become so great that the Pharisees and the Herodians were plotting to kill him. Things were getting very tense, very tense. And even his own family got worried and upset. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Now, to take charge means to grab his hand, pull him back, and stop him in his track. Because some in the public were saying that Jesus was crazy. And his family was worried about his sanity, his psychological state of mind. And of course, their own family reputation. They felt that they had lost face. His own brothers and sisters didn't understand his cause. So Mary and the family walked some 30 kilometers from Nazareth to Capernaum to try to talk some sense into Jesus and force him to go home with them. What did Jesus do in the face of a crisis like this? He came to terms with it. Jesus accepted it. This will be his new norm. When you experience a change that is not of your own choosing, in a sense, you suffer a death of some sort, like the death of a career, death of a relationship, or a death of a dream. So you will go through the same five stages of grief. First, denial. Oh, this can't be happening to me. No, no, no. Tomorrow they will come back and tell me it's all a mistake. Then, anger. How dare they do this to me? It's not fair. I hope they all fail. Then, bargaining. Oh, please, give me another chance. I'll do anything not to have to go through this. I will work harder. I promise I'll be better. Then, depression. I can't go on from here. It's hopeless. My life is over. This situation is hopeless. Why try anymore? And finally, acceptance. It has happened. 
and I can handle it. I gain some good memories from it and I'm ready for God to do a new thing in my life. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Ever so often, we have to die to one stage of life before we can enter another. Jesus had to accept the fact that as a prophet, he will not be respected in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. He accepted the fact that he could do no mighty works in Nazareth, his hometown. He accepted the fact that for now, his own family would not understand his mission. He accepted the fact that if he did God's will, he would never be liked by the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm sure Jesus poured his heart out and grieved in the presence of his heavenly Father, but he didn't allow himself to get emotionally stuck in a cycle of denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. He learned to accept the reality that Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, that he is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He accepted that. This is my life. This is my new normal. And he asked God for wisdom to have a new path to walk on, to maximize his remaining time and purpose on earth. Part of having mastery over change is to learn to accept it. And don't become fearful. Change is not your enemy. Your enemy is fear. Don't be afraid. He knew the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, were gathering information to accuse him. He knew he couldn't escape the cross. He knew one of the disciples would betray him. He knew at the end he would face Calvary all by himself. But he refused to be afraid. He explored different possibilities and he took positive action. What did Jesus do? He expanded his options. The next thing he did, number four, Jesus commissioned disciples. He knew his time on earth was running out. So he quickly put a succession plan in place. He needed people he could trust to continue the gospel work when he was no longer around. So he appointed 12 to be his disciples and personally taught and trained them. He then sent them out to minister in Israel and prepare them to eventually go to the whole world. Jesus also had 70 others. You read that in Luke chapter 10. This is his second tier of disciples. Many of us, we only focus on the 12. We, fo we forget. He actually got a second group. This was also an amazing group, a very powerful group. You know, this group included Matthias, who later replaced Judas, Ananias, the one who baptized Paul, Stephen, the first martyr, Philip, the deacon, the evangelist, Mark and Luke, the two gospel writers, Barnabas, the cousin of Mark and Paul's early mentor, and Silas, the companion of Paul in his first two missionary journeys. I mean, a powerful group, all trained by Jesus in the remaining time he had. And there were also other women disciples. Don't forget that. In that time, 
that he had left. He trained them to do greater works than he did. John 14 and verse 12. How did Jesus handle crisis and change? Finally, the fifth thing. Jesus put his absolute trust in God. Absolute, absolute trust in God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, how did Jesus pray? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Hallelujah. Then for the next 12 hours, Jesus went through six trials and was denied justice. He was then hung on the cross for another six hours and suffered like no man had ever suffered. During the entire period, Jesus was mostly silent. He kept quiet. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. Among the few words he uttered were these, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23 and verse 46. Do you know that was a quote from Psalms 31 and verse 5? Right to the very end, Jesus had absolute trust in God and His promises so much. He was quoting the Bible. When you go through crisis and change, put your full trust in God and in His Word. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. Psalms 125 verse 1. Whoever believes in God will never be put to shame. Romans chapter 9. When we are going through a crisis and change, especially if there is a big change, it is very important to figure out how much control over the situation we really have. For example, in this COVID-19 pandemic, we cannot control when the vaccine or cure will be discovered. We cannot control when the global economy will rebound. We cannot control when this new norm will come to an end or if it will ever end. Worrying, oh, worry, worry, worry over what we cannot control will only stress us out even more. And clearly, we have the advantage over everyone else. Why? Because God is on our side. We must learn to let go and let God. Whatever Jesus could control, He had done it as well as He could. I love what the Bible says. Jesus has done everything very well. Mark 7 verse 37. Everything Jesus did, He did it effectively, efficiently, excellently. He had a spirit of excellence. But whatever He couldn't control, he committed fully into God's hands, including his own life. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Recently, my wife taught our church about the serenity prayer. I mean, those of you that, that have never heard my wife preach, you got to check her last sermon. It's on the internet. It's very, one of the most powerful sermons for City Harvest Church, possibly in the last one year. She taught about the serenity prayer to pray daily that God would grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, encourage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We must do all that we can in things that are in our control. But for those things that are not within our control, 
outside of our control. We must commit them to Father God and trust Him absolutely. Do your best and trust God that He will take care of the rest. Jesus had mastery with change. And part of Christ's likeness is learning this from Him. Friends, this season will not last forever. Number one, use it wisely to grow in the knowledge of God and work on your character. Number two, spend time alone and think about your life, your purpose and your future in God's presence. Don't be so busy fellowshipping and talking and planning with others. Spend time doing your thinking alone with God, allowing His Word and His Spirit to sift through your thoughts. Use this season to clarify your values and your guiding principles. Number three, grieve all your losses in God's presence, but accept the change. Number four, expand your options and do what you can control. Finally, number five, whatever you cannot control, commit it to God and trust Him completely. Praise God. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the word. Crisis and change is difficult. But it's also a great time of growth and new opportunities. Keep your chin up. Jesus is the glory and the lifter of your head. This season will make you stronger and will also become the stepping stone to lift you higher up in your life. Whatever setback you have experienced will become part of your comeback story. The hardest time of your life often becomes the greatest occasion for God to move in you. He's working behind the scenes on your behalf. Trust Him fully. Trust Jesus fully. Those who trust in the Lord will never be disappointed. Amen and amen. God bless.